What comes to mind when you hear someone say RV parks? Today's guest, Don Spafford, is a partner with Happy Camper Capital. He's going to debunk some common myths about RV resort investing, risks of RV park investing, and how these unique investments compare to multifamily. Don, you have a really interesting background. You uh, were in the financial securities industry, and you were in there for, I believe, 18 years. I would love to know, what is your perspective on like how that experience in the financial securities industry, how has that impacted and maybe even helped and, and helped shape, but also helped like advise your journey as a real estate investor? Sure. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely, I, I think, helped, especially early on when I was first getting started. Um, just, you know, my, my background with that, that, that financing and security stuff, uh, I've always, since a young kid, uh, math, math and science are always my favorite subjects, you know, so I always did very well with the, those things. And um, some of those things just kind of naturally came to me. So uh, when I first got into real estate and uh, made that shift from, from stock investing, because I honestly, I, I did uh, the, the courses and classes I took in that Giving the giving the the background to know how to analyze companies and stocks and uh, choose you know the the winners we'll say, um, and so I kind of took those same types of uh, I guess analysis uh, skills to to into real estate. So when I bought my very first property, um, it did make a big difference for me because it, it was you know, I think for for me as it was for most people it's it's, it's fearful right when you get to, to buy this first property it's a it's a big investment you're like man if this goes wrong I mean, this is this is not going to be good so. Um, for me to get past that fear, I relied a lot on those numbers, right? So I did my analysis on this. The first property I bought was a fourplex, and um, you know I, I ran all my calculations, my numbers, everything I did to uh, to fully in-depth analyze it at a, a worst-case scenario. And and I was like, you know what, these numbers look good. So even though I was again fearful and almost willing, like the, the day before closing, to to back out and and uh, and not take the risk, but I was like, you know what, I trust these numbers. This is going to work. I've got to get started. So so definitely that. That uh, analysis and understanding of of and trust, I guess, in in numbers, <laughs> is what uh, helped me get past that fear. That's awesome. And so, obviously, in the financial securities, can you give some context as to what kind of assets you were working with there, just in case anyone doesn't know? Um, well, it's just been basically stocks. I mean, uh, it was um, you know, I was actually going to school to become a uh, financial advisor or portfolio manager. Um, you know, I, I was part of an investment club in my university where we we actually did that. We analyzed. Stocks. It was part of a a, a school portfolio that we owned, uh, or was I guess not owned but managed by the school that, um, you know. So we would we would choose what we'd buy and sell from that portfolio with real money, um, and so uh, that that's kind of was was I, I took that and put it applied to my own personal life, and I, I, you know, started buying stocks around the the time of the market crash back in two thousand eight, nine, ten. Um, I was buying those you know on sale stocks at the time, uh, mm-hmm. which some of that is what later helped. I took from that to help with that first purchase, that first uh, fourplex as well. Yeah, that's so funny because I had a friend who's also, uh, I was in college for a year before we left to do real estate full time. And um, he would always talk about like, he and I would kind of butt heads on, uh, We I was on the real estate bug. So I would really talk about real estate and he's a big stocks fan. And he would always like be learning as much as he could about the stock market. And he would say something like, like one of the main takeaways from that conversation was that although he most young investors seem to like be more willing to take a bigger risk if it means a bigger reward, like they're more about chasing that reward. I don't know if you've seen that, but that kind of leads me to like my next question. What is the main differences and pros and cons of like the difference between stocks and real estate? And I mean, obviously you ended up choosing real estate. So can you provide some insight there? Yeah, there's a few things, I guess, from from uh, my perspective. And, and a lot of it's going to depend on somebody's, uh, their ultimate goals. So, you know, what, what's their short-term or long-term needs? Um, so for me, the 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 main thing that about real estate that I liked more, what which attracted me was the the cash flow, right? So you get the the money coming in now, 
um, and that appreciation and somebody else is paying it off and you can leverage, you know, uh, there's, there's uh, you know, countless ways that, uh, why to me, real estate is better. Um, on the stock side, yeah, there, there, you can get into to dividend stocks and things that will still pay you, but typically you're going to take a lot of money up front to have anything really of significant value from, from that to make a difference in your life. Um, mm -hmm. Two, you can't really leverage it. I mean, there, there are ways, but it's much more risky. Uh, three is that you are typically going to have zero control over anything, right? So uh, on, on real estate, I can at least have some control. I can, you know, make it nice, fix it up, in, help, help increase the value at least. But the stock, you know, I, I'm, there's pretty much nothing I can do that's going to change the value of that the stock. Um, the the stocks kind of definitely more for a long-term play. I, I say for most people, there are people that do like the day trading and try to make money, you know, daily on it. But um, there's still a lot, of, a lot of risk in that. But um, the, and then the other downside I say for, for stocks is, kind of going back to having no control is that if somebody else who really has no direct control in that specific company can still say something on a public forum and uh, cause that stock value to drop or, or rise, you know, then um, that's just, you know, not, not, I don't know, it, too risky for, for my blood to, to say, you know what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be today I'm up, you know, I'm up, you know, a thousand percent on my stock portfolio, but then, so-and-so tweets something or says something uh, or, or you find out that there, there's some fraud that happened somewhere. And so that stock just goes to zero. I mean, I remember back in uh, even prior to the, the 2008 crash, like in, uh, I think it was around 2001, maybe or two, uh, there was a whole you know, Enron scandal. Like the people that were had their whole life savings were in, in the Enron stock and all of a sudden it went to zero. They were just wiped out and gone. It's like, man, mm -hmm. I don't want to be in that, that type of situation, especially when you're at that phase where you're either in retirement or ready to retire. And then all of a sudden, what you thought you had is, is now all gone, you know? So uh, I, I saw real estate as a much safer place to be and can provide the income now. Uh, and I can get in with a lot less money out of pocket to get the cash I need sooner than later. Yeah. And it's somewhat funny. You mentioned the Enron uh, scandal. We, my brothers and I were watching a documentary about that the other day. And it was just crazy to think like we, we were hearing the guys on the, on the phones, the way they would talk about it. It was like almost like a game for them. Um, it was honestly like it felt like fiction. It didn't feel like I was watching yeah. something real. So, so interesting, but Obviously, you know, uh, spoiler alert, you end up getting into real estate and now you're involved in syndications, which is awesome. That's something we do as well. I would love to know, like, what was that first experience in the syndication space for you? Like, what was your first syndication like? Uh, well, my first, I guess, official syndication actually was a, a build to rent multifamily. Uh, so I got pulled into just, you know, from a strange course of events, let's say, uh, not not the path I had planned for. But, you know, I got into, you know, about a, four, a fourplex and got a couple more fourplexes and got into some uh, land flip deal in a development project of a, of a commercial retail building. And then uh, I got into involved with this, this group that does build to rent multifamily, you know, large scale, like 800 units, units uh, developments. Uh, and so I got with this group and uh, initially um, started help raising capital for them. Uh, and so that was my very first attempt at, uh, at capital raising or being involved with the syndication really. Um, and it was obviously, as most people say, you know, your first attempt at capital raising, it doesn't, it just does not go as well as you expect it to for most people anyway. Um, for me, actually, it did better than I thought. <laughs> so I was like surprised one because it was, uh, you know, at the time this was you know early 2021 where you know the materials prices are going up, so people were fearful of you know costs are going to go up, or thing you know your your estimates aren't going to be right, everything will be off, uh, and so it was a bit more difficult for, for that. People were at that time fearful of of build to rent, uh, and you know not, not having existing building there already and already know what rents are going to be and all that kind of stuff. And it was in a Road to the unknown market here in, in Idaho Falls, Idaho, where I'm at. So um, it was a bit more difficult to get people's confidence. And I did honestly at that point, I did not have a large, uh, you know, investor or network of, of people to pull from anyway. So 
It was I was pretty sure everything was against me at the time, but uh, I still did I think in decently well again much better than I thought I would have, um, and and that's kind of what led to things that came after. Um, but that was my very first uh, you know attempt at it. I, I learned about syndications maybe about a year before that, um, just through listening to podcasts, and uh, I spoke with somebody else that had one and, and was inviting me to invest with them. By the time I didn't have enough funds to do that anyway, uh, and I was still probably a bit. bit fearful myself because I didn't understand it, didn't know them. Uh, and, and honestly, the returns weren't that great in my perspective. So I was like, eh, you know, it's, it's, I'll, I'll hold off, you know, and, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was my first tip was this build to rent multifamily. Yeah, that's awesome. And so it seems like that was your first experience uh, with, with syndication, obviously with like the more traditional uh, multifamily space. But of yeah. course, that was what we were also exposed to at first, like multifamily apartments, even maybe retail, things right. like that. But I'd never heard of campground syndications. That's something that was so interesting. Um, And so first starting off, like when I hear the, the term RV parks, which is, I believe is what you guys do. I hear mobile home park that is like on, on a lot of land with a bunch of trailer park cars. And uh, that's kind of like what I envision. I'm sure that's a common misconception a lot of people have. So debunk that for me right now. Uh, what is a what is an RV parking? Is it always that? And if not, like what else can it be? Yeah, well, there there are those, and, and uh, honestly, that's typically the the term RV park is associated with that. It's very similar to mobile home park or people living there long term. Uh, that's not what we buy. And I, I personally try to not use that term. We we just refer to them as RV resorts, you know, RV campgrounds, um, because what we purchase are are more of a vacation type you know resort. So it's more like a short term rental or or a hotel type model where people are coming, they stay there for a while, and then they go back home. They don't live there long-term typically. Um, so that, that's, you know, that's for, for the, the, I guess the, the basic differences between the RV park and then the, you know, the RV campgrounds that we pursue ourselves. Awesome. And so how did you come across your first campground syndication? Like, how did you hear about this? Because like I said, and I'm sure like yeah. you, like you've first experienced when you come into the syndication world, it's apartments and uh, I'll have a value add B class in, in, you know, in, in South Carolina or something like that. Very common, almost like a cliche at this point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It seems like everybody in the grandma does, uh, you know, multifamily value adds right now. So, um, so I was in that same space myself. I was actually, you know, after being with that uh, built to rent project, I was still looking for other value add multifamily, either, uh, you know, properties I could get in a contract myself and take to a syndication group to, to be part of it and, you know, get my foot in the door, we'll say, and be, uh, have, have a piece of that. Um, but again, I was not finding anything that would pencil out for the returns that I was personally looking for. I had very high expectations for, for, you know, for what I expect. And uh, so I was not finding anything there. And so I, I just started looking at other people's offerings. Um, at this point, I was on a lot more people's uh, email lists and, and and I knew several other syndicators. So I would just would get, I, I'd say, I don't know, several dozen different offerings uh, over this course of a few months. And um, they were all pretty much the similar, almost like kind of you're saying, everything's like more or less the, uh, you know, a cookie cutter. It's like same thing, really no different. Uh, the returns are very similar, similar type of product. I'm like, well, this does not get me excited. Uh, the, the returns again were, were, were just, you know, minimal, basic. I'm like, I almost feel like I could, I could probably have done better putting my money into some stocks probably. So I was like, I'm gonna hold off on that. Uh, and so at the time it was a, a part of my daily routine to listen to several podcasts, you know, every day. Uh, I still had my W2 job. And so I was, you know, while I'm working, I have podcasts playing constantly all day long. So on one of these podcasts, it was, you know, mid 2021, I guess. Um, I heard on a podcast somebody talking about campgrounds, and uh, you know, kind of like you, it, it intrigued me. I was like, "Hey, this is something different, right?" And not the same same thing you hear from everybody else. So um, I got interested, and in, in, uh, particularly because of where I'm at, I, I live in uh, you know Eastern Idaho, so it's about an hour and a half away from Yellowstone Park. 
um, big camping area. Just about everybody here has, you know, RVs. And, and uh, so I was like, hey, there could be something there, uh, potential to get into something that uh, not everybody else is doing. Yeah, and that's kind of what I, I like. I don't like uh, being a follower or, or, you know, doing what everybody else is doing. I like being different. And uh, so so this kind of stood out to me for those several reasons. And um, on top of that, I, I talked to several of my neighbors in the past about investing in multifamily to try to, you know, I was trying to find investors coming to these deals, even that build to rent project. And uh, for most of them, they, they I, you know, they're generally high income earners around me, but um, none of them invest in real estate. It's not something they understand. They don't get it. They're fearful of it. Um, but uh, when I mentioned, you know, investing in campgrounds, you know, again, most of them have campers or they go camping often. So this is now something they understand. They use it. They've been there. So they, they, they had a, it's a totally different conversation now. They, 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 mm -hmm. they say, yeah, that'd be interesting. I'd love to hear more. You know, so I, I understood that there's a almost probably an untapped group of people here that, uh, you know, again, typically, you know, people are buying campers and RVs. These are not cheap things, right? These are luxury items. So if you got disposable income to buy a camper and RV, you could probably invest with us. <laughs> so I was like, you know, there's, there's an untapped, you know, group of millions of people here in this space that uh, are these RVers that could be our investors as well. So. Um, yeah. So initially, my my goal was like again, I'm I'm going to start networking with people in this space. I went to other webinars and and meetups of people that are in that niche, just to get to know people. Looking, my my initial thoughts were, you know, I didn't know anything about it, so I wanted to at least provide some value. I'm like, well, what can I do here? I, again, where I'm at, this is a great location for campgrounds. So I'm like, hey, if somebody wants to buy here, I can uh, put myself out there, be their you know their local boots on the ground person to go take videos and and pictures. Uh, my wife is a realtor, so we could help with the purchase, all those kind of things that we could we could offer to uh, to be of assistance. And yeah. uh, in in just in doing that, you know, communicating with people, chatting on on uh, social media forums and whatnot, um, that's where I end up meeting my now partners uh, who you mentioned earlier. You know, Adam Lendy was one of them. Uh, he actually, I don't know if he contacted me or I contacted him, whichever it went, but uh, we got in a call and, and discussed you know, my goals and, and their goals and where everything was heading. And, mm -hmm. and uh, that's how I end up being on the team now. That's awesome. And it's so funny because you wouldn't have thought, and I, I wouldn't have thought that there would be so much, almost like a, a pool of demand, people that are potential investors out of that, like uh, audience, people that are already attracted to those campgrounds and are already yeah. using that. And like you said, if they already have the money to buy those expensive luxury items and they likely have that disposable income to invest. So that's awesome. Uh, I want to know, like, because I've never been on, I don't, I don't, I don't think maybe like in New Hampshire, I've been with some friends, but like, I don't know if I've actually been to the kind of campground you're investing in and you have yeah. as investment. So what might I find at one of these campgrounds just to like paint the picture for someone who's never been um, in, in the sense, first we'll talk about like what, what actually like physically is there and how big it is. And then we'll get into more of the investment side. Yeah. Well, they, they vary in size, of course, you know, there's, there's, you know, anything from, from small ones to like ginormous ones have like thousands of campsites, you know? So, um, typically for, for say an average size one of maybe, you know, 150 to 200 or so, uh, campsites, right. And then, and when I refer to campsites, I'm not talking just RVs, we typically have cabins or glamping spots or even just tent camping. Um, so these are not your average campground, right? You're not thinking of, you think if you're going to go camp with their family, go pitch a tent and, and you know, build a fire. And then that's about it. Right. That's not what we're doing here. Uh, I, I've been on several of those types of campouts with the, the Boy Scouts myself. I was a Boy Scout growing up, Eagle Scout as a scout master later on. So I've been to many campouts uh, and these are not the average type of campout. Right. So uh, these are places where you're going to have a, a great time. This is not just uh, a place to go park your vehicle and, and build a fire and, and camp. In the woods. Uh, this is a, this this is a vacation destination, right? This is you're you're going to take your vacation and go here because 
there's things there you want to go do, right? Um, some of our campgrounds, for example, have like a, a concert venue, like an amphitheater or something. So you can, might go for, you know, a weekend concert or, or something. Um, typically, we're going to have properties on, on some type of water, like either a large lake or river, something where people can go boating, go skiing, fishing. Uh, we may have an aqua park, you know, so think like a giant like balance house type thing on water. Um, you know, and then there, there's so all kinds of different amenities that could be there. Uh, you know, like a, a like a, almost like a drive-in theater type thing, have like a movie night kind of event, um, and just many other activities that could 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 or and are be are there. Uh, like uh, pickleball is a big thing right now. People love doing pickleball, so those are you know typically when we we take over campground, we're adding on a pickleball court. Um, there could be things for you know ATVs, off-roading, you know horseback riding. Um, you know, potentially things that could be not say one thing we have, but you know, you have like things have like have like a repelling or uh, you know, just other types of activities just to keep you busy and, and entertaining. So, uh, so that's what's going on these these campgrounds. And in some cases, people aren't even going there to go camping; they're going there for these other events. Like, hey, let's go hang out in the lake. You don't even think of it being an RV park. It's like, hey, there's let's go play in the lake, and there just happens to be RVs around here. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it, it's uh, it's one of those things where the the the, the property itself isn't really have that feel of when you think like that mental thought of what's an RV park look like, or, you know, RV campground. Uh, it's, this is a, a whole like vacation resort is what it really is. That's awesome. And so I want to know, like, how, how do those compare to like the multifamily, uh, multifamily investment in the sense of uh, maybe like, you don't have to necessarily talk about any particular deal, but like the returns um, or the average returns that you might expect, um, or maybe even like the risk or the demand for those, for those investments on the, the so like, you know, how multifamily, for example, Tenants, if it's workforce housing, there's a strong demand there. How does demand change, or is it as strong um, with with these types of investments? Yeah, well, it's obviously different. Um, the, mm-hmm. So, um, go go back to I guess multiple your, your your questions here. So, um, <laughs> what what initially did get my attention and drew me to this space was the returns, right? So again, go back to talking about the multifamily. I was looking for deals. I was looking for a place to put some money to keep my money growing and, and creating income, um, and so when I first heard about campgrounds and then the types of returns that they can get, um, that's what immediately drew my attention at first, more than anything else. Because I was like, hey, I'm, I'm for sure going to invest in this because it's going to give me that great cash flow. So on the average property that we acquire for our, our team, and obviously there's, I know there's other groups out there that buy campgrounds as well, and everybody has their own criteria. Um, but for us, what we look to, to deliver to our investors, uh, we are looking for properties that will deliver about an average of a 15% cash on cash. Uh, with a say two and a half to three x multiple over a, a typical five year hold, which is you know about average for most uh, commercial, you know, real estate. So, um, so yeah, so I was like, wow, this is like double or triple what I was seeing in, in most of these other uh, say multifamily deals, um, which most of those multifamily ones typically don't have much cash flow at all. They maybe have like zero or very little year one, and maybe at the most, you know, four to six percent over the life of the property. And most people are just banking on that equity multiple of maybe about two or two point three x multiples, the most that you're usually seeing I've seen some that are even less than that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, for me, yeah. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm going to get great cash flow, which is number one. My, my, my goal was always cash flow more than anything else. Cause I was trying to replace my W2 income, have you know, income I could use to live off of support, support my family, have more to invest with all those things I, I needed now, not five years from now. So, so that was number one for me is like, wow, the cash flow is amazing. Uh, and then, uh, so going go back to the other question is that, um, so the the some of the differences obviously with with multifamily looking at um you know you have to deal with evictions often uh and in in some cases still currently eviction moratoriums were, were going on where you can't even evict somebody that doesn't pay right so um that that is one that actually affected me and during uh 2020 um i had a couple of my 
my apartments I owned that uh, the, the tenants didn't pay for you know almost a year before you could even get rid of them. So, uh, and then on top of that, you got to then fix up the whole apartment after that, and, you know, place the carpets, paint, all these things that were were damaged. And so with this type of property now, we don't have to deal with that. We don't have to deal with tenants you know, or evictions. We aren't replacing carpets and, and appliances and paint and all those things. Um, you know, so so that makes it much more, less of a headache. First of all, to not have to deal with those types of problems. Um, and on top of that, again, I, I've, for me personally, this is something I didn't really, I guess, realize at first, but I've come to realize myself just from my, I guess, personal uh, feelings or morals, whatever you want to call it, I guess, is that uh, I've never felt good in, in, in about, um, you know, with, with don't want to say some way to offend people, but but uh, you know, with, with multifamily, the, the, the end goal, right, you want to increase the, the value. By increasing the value, you got to increase the rents. And so when you take over a property, you're going to do all those things to, to make it nicer uh, yeah, and, and whatnot. But there's many people that are, are, are happy with the way it is. You know, they, they, they fit in that, that uh, I guess, rent amount for their, their budget and their lifestyle. And so now increasing that rent has forced them to either choose between, you know, cutting back on food or other budgets or finding a cheaper place to go live possibly. Um, so it puts people in a bad situation. And on top of that, you know, when you do have to evict, uh, you know, there's some cases obviously where people, are, you know, it's it's needed. They deserve it. You know, they're they're maybe bad people, but I'd say probably the majority of cases, it's you know, people that are going through a hard time, right? Like a single mother lose her job or has a medical expense or something that uh, that puts them in a hardship, and just can't pay rent uh, as much as they want to. And then now you have to evict them. That, that you know, that makes me feel feel bad for that situation, um, and not having to deal with that on this side of things. You know, it, for me, it helps me to to. Uh, I guess have a clear conscience and, and sleep better at night, knowing that we're not putting people in the streets. We're not, you know, forcing people to, uh, you know, have to maybe starve to pay the rent and have a place to stay. Uh, and and uh, so this again, this this space, this is people that have disposable income anyway. They're, they're this not their their home. They don't live here. If if uh, they're going through hardship, they just don't go camping or they go someplace else. They they find one that's cheaper or whatever options are out there. But uh, but it's not forcing a, a lifestyle change for, for most people. Um, mm -hmm. So so I I like that aspect a lot myself. Yeah, um, I think those are those are some important differences, and I'm really glad you highlighted those. Um, so so like so really good points, honestly. Um, regarding the business plan when it comes to campgrounds, like what does the business plan look like? Is these are typical like value add plays, or are you? I'm assuming you're not developing these campgrounds from the ground up. Not yet. Uh, we 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 may do that soon, but uh, as of now, yeah, we, we everything we are buying is value add, uh, and uh, again, kind of going to those differences of value add, right? Uh, we're not. Again, as people know, multifamily value add, you're, you're you know, upgrading the units, uh, you know, adding new appliances, painting, flooring, all that stuff. Um, for us, it's uh, a bit different. You know, in most cases, we're adding on additional uh, RV pads or camping spots, you know, cabins, camping things. Um, so we wanted to find a property where we can build it out, expand it, you know, add on more. Uh, again, something you're not usually doing with multifamily unless you get more land around it to, to build more properties. But in most cases, that's not an, even an option. So for us, yeah, we, we, we want to expand it, add on more. Uh, we'll, we'll do several improvements in the property. Uh, you know, one is just a, a, an improvement of the the uh, utility connections that are there, uh, getting them up to, you know, current code or even beyond, getting things ready for like the electric vehicles that are coming in the here right now or the near future. Um, and then putting things in place to charge back a lot of those, those utility expenses that many, the mom and pop properties, they just pay them themselves. Uh, so we'll charge it back to, to the users. Um, you know, obviously, you know, adding on the the more amenities or, or improving ones that are there, make them nicer. If there's not, again, if there's not like a pool, we'll we'll put in a pool. Um, we'll we'll uh, again maybe add on an amphitheater to put in a concert event, build out docks for for boating. 
uh, all kinds of different things there. The, the, the great thing about it is there's almost more or less unlimited upside potential. So you could, for anything you can think of adding on, you can find a way to add it on and, and bring in additional revenue. Um, so even if there's yeah. already, say, even just a small pond, uh, you know, get a couple of paddle boards and people will rent the paddle boards and use them, you know, so uh, there's, there's multiple things you can just, whatever you can think of to do, there's, there's something you could, you can use to, to make that happen. Um, Absolutely. And that even includes from just, you know, charging for like a, you know, RV storage or boat storage, you know, even during the off season. So um, there, there's ways you can capitalize throughout the year on it. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating. And regarding like the risks associated with this type of yeah. investment, what are some of the biggest risks and how would it typically perform um, if the economy goes in like into an economic downturn? Well, I'd say the, the overall the, the biggest risk I'd say is, is environmental, uh, like hurricane, tornado. That, that those are something that obviously can, can wipe it out. Um, but we do have very well coverage and insurance to, to help cover that, which includes uh, loss of income. So that would kind of cover the the cash flows for our investors during that time. Um, that's honestly I'd say the, the the biggest risk. You know, people I've talked to many investors, probably you know hundreds if not thousands at this point. Uh, and some of the biggest risks they are worried about, uh, uh, you know, are really not risks when we, we discuss it. So uh, people are worried about, hey, gas prices, are people going to go drive an RV with high gas prices? Or um, if, if the economy is bad, are people going to go camping and stuff like that? So um, two things that can you know easily answer those problems is that, well, first of all, you know, we're, again, we're talking about people that um, own RVs or campers already. So they're going to use them. They're going to go camping, right? So they're, they're not going to have it set in their driveway and like, I'm not going to drive that you know, $100,000 thing sitting in my driveway. So, uh, so people are going to still go out and they're going to go use them. Uh, you know, that's, you know, look at the, the high end, uh, the high income earners, right? They have that disposable income. The economy is not going to be an issue for them. On the the low end side, we'll say that the lower income people that still go camping as well, right? They may have a, a small trailer they're pulling or just to go stay at a cabin. You know, no matter what's going on in the economy, people still want to have a vacation. People want to take time off and go do something fun. Um, so, people may cut back on their expenses and say, okay, I'm not going to go to Disney world this year or, or travel across the country, but Hey, let's stay nearby and go to something fun. You know, again, there's a lake or, or something else going by that they can go do go camping and have some fun with the family. Um, that's going to happen anyway. So, um, so there's no risk there as far as that goes, as far as the, the gas prices, for example, are some of our buy criteria for what we look for. The properties have to be within about a two or, or a maximum of three hour drive of a major city. So uh, again, people that have RVs, um, are typically willing to drive about an average of up to 200 miles, right? So even with high gas prices, a short distance drive is not a big deal to go out and, and use it and have fun. Um, again, they're probably not going to drive it cross country, but you know where we're buying, we have our built-in user base nearby that are going to come out there and keep, keep them filled, keep them occupied, and and uh, and keep it making money. Um, and uh, and then so some of the other, I guess the the worst case scenario, I, I tell people. So if if a worst case scenario happens, like with a multifamily, really is not much else you can do other than maybe convert it to low income housing or something. But um, for us, the the worst case scenario, I'd say if if something happens and really nobody goes camping, like say, you know, I, I use the, the, the example, of, say, World War Three, everybody's just fearful to go anywhere or do anything. Well, these properties can easily be converted into a standard RV park, like we were talking about before. Convert it into a, a, a housing development, drop in some more cabins or something that can bring in uh, people to stay there and live there long term to at least have enough income to stay in the property and, and keep it, you know, operating and cash flowing. They won't get, get the high cash flows we're getting now, but we still get enough to sustain it and provide even like a, a minimal return to our investors. So uh, that right there greatly reduces the risk uh, of, again, worst case scenario type situation would still be yeah. an average deal for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you highlighting those. That's those are really insightful. I think um, I learned a lot about the specific risks because a lot of people, especially with multifamily, are always asking, like, what will happen if, if uh, the economy takes a dip? 
Well, how would that impact this asset and this investment? Now, I have one more question before our speed round. And it's uh, really honest. I just really wanted to ask. I'm really curious. What is the number one biggest expense for these campgrounds? And what is the number one source of income? Yeah. Um, biggest expense is probably labor, like staff. Um, either that or insurance, depending on the property. But uh, again, we, we we pay for high cost insurance because we want to make sure the property is well covered. You know, I, I know several people that are in multifamily that they get the minimal coverage on their property. Uh, we go on the high end. We want to make sure that the property is covered, and again, that loss of income and everything else to help our investors. Uh, so it's that, or also the, the the staff. You know, so in a campground, we don't just hire a a property manager and call it good, right? Uh, we have the the well, first of all, we have our our own Beyonder Camp is our campground management company that that oversees all of our campgrounds. Uh, but there's also an, an on-site manager that oversees the property, and they have all the staff that do all the the, the daily routines and to keep it operating and, and seeing to the, the the guests' needs and all that. So, uh, so we have a very high expense for for that labor uh, that you typically are not going to see in, in in multifamily or anything else. Um, but again, with with the income that we these properties bring in, that's you know not an issue. We're we're, we're I'd, say, I'd say around like a fifty percent uh, expense ratio, which is again about average for most other commercial real estate. But uh, so again, we have high, high expenses, but we also have very high income. Um, so our, our, our biggest income, yeah, it's probably from the, the, uh, the nightly rentals, uh, which is again, why we prefer this, this model of these, uh, you know, transient, you know, overnight, uh, short-term rental type, type uh, mm -hmm. campgrounds versus the long-term stays. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, those, those nightly rentals bring in a lot more income than even say that the long-term seasonal do. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Don, it is time for our speed round. Are you ready? Let's go for it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Number one, what has been the biggest failure or as we like to call them learning lesson that you've encountered along your real estate journey? And what did you take away from that experience? Mm, biggest failure. Um, um, I'd say, you know, so early on when I was buying my, I'd say our third property, I think it was, uh, I, was I was looking to buy a 16 unit. Um, I think it was 16 units anyway. Um, and I brought on a, a partner because this is one that I was not going to be able to do alone. I brought in a partner with me to uh, to do this. It was an area that I already owned property in, so I was familiar with the area and knew, knew what was going on there. Um, and uh, so we, you know, we everything's going well. We got a great price on it. Uh, we did the inspection, um, and then after it wasn't the, the inspection it was the the my so my partner did some of his own due diligence, which is fine. You know, I, I agree, you should do that. Um, you know, he he got a little bit fearful because you know he was he saw I guess he looked at some like police reports or, or something uh maybe saw a, a news article i don't know that uh a shooting happened or nearby or something no one's been killed but just you know a, a, some kind of violence happened there mm -hmm. and and so that was enough for him to be fearful and say you know what i'm, I'm gonna back out this is too dangerous uh, I, don't, I don't like it and uh of course this is after we already paid for the the uh inspection which was uh kind of costly for, for that size of property and uh and just the time wasted in it and, and getting my broker upset we didn't go forward to close on it and so um so for me it was more of like i guess vetting the partner early on to make sure that their their goals and, and uh, risk tolerance maybe are, are similar to mine. Because um, for me, I didn't see that as a big deal that that can happen even in a high class A property. So um, just because it's a one-off incident doesn't mean it's a, you know, a gang territory property. So um, that, you know, put us in a situation where I was not able to continue or close on my own. Um, and and so so from there, I was like, I, I've got to make sure if, if I'm doing something with a partner, uh, we've got to make sure that we are fully on board and, and in, in agreement with everything that's going on there uh, and not leave me with, with, uh, you know, a bad reputation with my brokers. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I appreciate you sharing that. Now today, moving to the kind of fast forwarding to the present, where is your business at today in terms of scale and success based on how you would define that? And then also what are you looking to accomplish moving forward? 
Yeah. So, so where I'm at today, it's, it's, uh, I, I'd say very well. I mean, so I, again, I started investing just five and a half years ago when I bought that first fourplex uh, back in 2017. Uh, when I bought that property, I, I gave myself a five-year goal that I wanted to have enough passive income where I could leave my W-2 job if I wanted to. Uh, I, I'm happy to say I was able to meet that goal. I, I honestly did not think it was gonna happen to me just three years ago, probably. Uh, but when I discovered campgrounds uh, and the income they produced, that was a, a game changer for me. Um, and that, and also being involved with the build to rent projects as well, because those also provided uh, great uh, income on, on the, the backside of things uh, after that first phase gets completed and I got a great return. So, um, so those things, you know, that I did not expect when I started in real estate, you know, I, I had no idea that I'd be involved with syndications and, and buying, you know, multi-million dollar properties. Uh, I, I was, my, my goal was just to keep buying fourplexes, right? So, um, so, so where I'm at now is just uh, incredible for me is I was able to, to leave my W2 at the end of last year uh, and be now full-time real estate. Um, and so my, my goal from here, I guess, is in five years from now, I'd say, uh, I want to, uh, have the option again, if, if I want to, which I probably would want to, is to be completely passive, you know, be, uh, fully retired from, from doing anything, just living purely off of the, the, the cash flows and, and income from my, or my real estate investment, uh, to have all my time freedom to do what I want with my family and give time for service and whatever else I want to do, um, and, and not be involved as much as I love doing this, you know, it still takes time. Right. And, and I, I do want my time for me with my family, especially I'm now getting older, uh, I wish I could have started back when I was your age, uh, but uh, I, I started investing when I was 40. So uh, I'm happy to at least be, you know, we'll say quote unquote retired at, at 45, but uh, I want to be fully retired and uh, and have enough passive income to last me the rest of my life and and, uh, and something to pass on to my, my children that we can live off of and enjoy uh, forever. What is your favorite book in terms of your uh, in business and or personal life? Um, let's see here. Uh, I'd say there's, hmm, it's a good question. I, 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 I like a lot of books. You know, so, so, uh, I, before I got into real estate, I, I hated reading. Honestly, I, <laughs> I never enjoyed reading books. Um, uh, but when I got into real estate and I realized, Hey, I, I like reading about real estate. I like reading about, uh, you know, finance and, and taxes and those kind of things. So, um, one that, uh, I, I still think is, is stood out to me, um, that, uh, that I suggest to many people is, is the richest man in Babylon. Um, it's a fairly short read, um, but there's lots of great tidbits of information and, and tips and things there that people can learn about all things, business, finance, real estate, investing. Um, it kind of covers all those topics with, with a great story uh, going on with it uh, and, and can be done in a, in a short read. You know, my problem with a lot, a lot of other books, I get these like, you know, big, you know, 400, 500 page books or something. And uh, I get the first half. The first half is great. Then the second half kind of just dies off for me. I lose interest or it's just, I don't know, that the, they're maybe rambling on. I don't know. They could have <laughs> condensed it a bit more, but uh, so so those long books for me are, are too much of a time commitment that I, I usually get let down by the end. So I like these short books that I can get through and and uh, the whole thing is just great. Uh, so that's one that I, I like a lot. Perfect. Out of all the gold nuggets you've shared today, what is one piece of advice you'd want someone in our audience to walk away with from today's episode? Um, I'd say if somebody that's especially looking to just get started investing in real estate, like they're still beginning or considering whatever, um, the, the main thing is to get started. Um, you know, it, it, I know the fear is there. The fear is for me is I'm sure for everybody when you first start, but, uh, you know, understand the numbers enough that you can trust your, your analysis or at least work with somebody else that you can trust. Like if you don't want to do it yourself, you want to invest in the syndication, for example, um, get to know people that you can trust and, and then, uh, know the numbers, uh, so that way you can get past that fear and, and trust that, you know, 
even if the first deal is not like an amazing, awesome thing, it's going to put you where you want to be, but it's at least something to get you started, get that motion moving uh, to get things in progress, to end up someplace you may not even imagine five years from now. Again, like for me, when I started buying a far, that first fourplex, I would have never even thought that I'd be on a group that does buys RV campgrounds or does build to rent multifamily of 800 unit projects, you know? So, um, so yeah, the, the, just, but if I would have never started that first one, I would not be here today. Yeah, absolutely. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you or just follow you on your journey, where can they go to do that? Uh, you can definitely follow me on, on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. I post there just about daily. Um, you can also go to obviously happycampercapital.com. Uh, you will find the, the, uh, about us tab there. You can find my name and my information. You can actually right there, click on a link at the bottom right of, of where you can schedule a time to talk with me and so, you know, schedule a zoom call or a phone call. And I'd be happy to talk to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Don. And thanks everyone for tuning in today to the real estate monopoly to learn more about us. You can check us out at Donis brothers on social media, and uh, you can pretty much check out our podcast on any podcast streaming platform. Thanks again for your time. Let's get out there and take action guys. Have a great rest of your day.